0: Hey, this is Chad Brown. Thanks for checking out Chad and Nate on Demand, presented by SCL Mortgage, the home of myspecialmortgage.com. Get
1: caught up on all. It's time for Distractions with Chad and Nate. Life moves pretty fast. You don't stop and look around once in a while, you could miss it. Now, here's Chad and Nate.
0: Nate, there is a saying never meet your heroes, they will disappoint you, they'll break your heart. Mm. Um and I think it applies to to this topic here. Uh Brett Favre, who's had a couple of uh you know questionable things in his past, some indiscretions, now is uh being publicly uh accused of cra- being part of a scheme to steal 5 million dollars from Mississippi's poorest most underserved folks for a volleyball stadium at a college where his daughter attended. Mm. He was working with the uh governor On this deal there. So back in 2020, uh, Mississippi State Auditor announced that the the Department of Human Services had wasted tens of millions of dollars in federal welfare welfare grants uh, by misspending this money for personal use and spending on family members, friends of staffers and grantees, including Brett Favre. Uh, So Brett Favre, um, again, was trying to funnel this money to uh, build a volleyball stadium at the college where his daughter attended. Um, And because of this and other things, Jeff Perlman, who wrote the autobiography on Brett Favre, uh, came out with a series of tweets basically telling people, I disavow this book. Please don't buy this book. Brett Favre is an awful dude. I can't stand behind the sale of this book. So a guy who's got a vested interest in selling books, a financial interest, is so dis- disgusted by Brett Favre's behavior that he is willing to forego his own self-interest and his financial interest to tell people not to buy the book. Um, on the day of extended Favre revelations, I want to share something. I wrote a biography of the man who was lar- that was largely glowing. Football heroics, overcoming obstacles, practical joker, etc. Yes, it included his grossness, his addictions, his treatment, of women's, but it was a fairly positive... Waiting for the second uh, tweet to pop up. Uh, boom, boom, boom. Bing, bing, bada, boom, bada, boom. Loading, loading, loading. Uh, yes, but anyway, uh, it's... it's Yeah, I can't get to the, the second text here. My, my, my apologies, uh, listeners. But anyway, yes, he says don't buy the book. So uh, the question becomes... Um, is Brett Favre. Don't buy the book because
1: he's a bad dude. He's a bad dude. And we shouldn't celebrate the good things that he did.
0: No, because there's so many other bad things.
1: We should talk about the bad.
0: That have have overshadowed the, for at least Jeff Perlman, the author, that have overshadowed the good things that Brett Favre has done or accomplished uh, because of these revelations. Mississippi is the poorest state in the country. The poorest state in the country. The underserved there are obviously very underserved. So for Brett Favre, who's made over $100 million in his career, to take money from those folks for his own selfish purposes, um, it's about as ugly as it can get. There's also the you know, the, the texting of uh, graphic images to, 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 to women and things like that. There's all that Brett Favre stuff. Um, but my question to you is, T.O. had an incredibly difficult time getting into the Hall of Fame. Yep. Brett Favre walked right into the Hall of Fame. Right. If T.O. was guilty of any of this stuff, the worst thing T.O. was guilty of was having some contentious relationships with the media. Yep. Uh, if, if T.O. was guilty of any of this stuff, he would not be in the Hall of Fame. If he, had, if he was accused of what Brett Favre has being accused of, there would be folks clamoring for him getting pulled out of the Hall of Fame. Even though the Hall of Fame doesn't do that. Once you're in, you're in. Even O.J.'s bust is still there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But that would be the case. Why is there a different treatment between T.O. and Brett Favre?
1: I think that, you know, what you do off the field, people overlook. If what you do on the field extols the virtue of NFL glory. And what Brett Favre did on the field was always lockstep in everything you want a football player to be. Tough. uh, Risky. He had fun playing the game. He was like a little kid out there, right? running around, celebrating with his guys, smacking guys on the helmet, slinging the ball around. The the on-the-field product was everything you ever wanted a football player to be and everything you could use to promote the game. Whereas T.O. got into arguments on the sideline, yelling at his coaches on the sideline, causing rifts with his team on the sideline. And I'm not saying that he was wrong ever. He was a very strong-willed person. I I was on the same team as Tio. I was in the same locker room. We were in the same receiver room. I know Terrell Owens. He's a nice guy. He's not a jerk. He's a very, very, very passionate football player, but very, very polarizing for the way that his life has unfolded on the football field. And it seems as if we make exceptions for people who screw up off the field as long as on the field they do the things we want them to do. And there's a reason why we responded to Colin Kaepernick's kneeling the way We did. Because he did it on the field. Because he did it in the middle right before a game is supposed to start. You put a kink in the hose that's supposed to spray us all with football glory. And you wanted to put your own stamp on it in that moment and change the way we thought about the game. That's why we don't want you around. Because you're making us think of something else when we're trying to think about football. And I think that we allow the people's off the field things to go, I don't know, unjudged if what they do on the field pleases
0: us. It's really fascinating. It's 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 super fascinating because we take the fake façade ness of football, which is just there to entertain us, and we put more weight and credence on that than we do what you do in real life as a player. That's a because fac- we don't
1: see it; it's not affecting us, right? It's a you know f- most people who are interpreting this story aren't poor people in Mississippi; they're football fans, right? right. And and their memories of Brett Favre. Our, our, our football memories are entwined in their own evolution as football fans, as sports fans. It's like, you know, what does that do to your own memories, to your own youth when you go back and revisit your heroes and have to recategorize them as scumbags or creeps? What does that do to your own life? What does that do to your own process? What does that do to your memories, like with your dad sitting there watching games, being inspired by the play of these men and in hindsight, you got to go back and be like, oh, that dude was being a scumbag back then. So was my memory even pure now? Like, what do, what do I do to my past when I have to go and reckon with their sins?
0: There is a long history of uh, the public excusing off the he- field behavior or off the court or out of the ring or whatever the, the circumstance may be because of greatness in or on the field. And a long history of that. And this is just another I- example uh, of that, uh, but I thought I would point out the the T O thing because he was a guy who was you know uh, excoriated for uh, some of his behavior. But there's nothing that rises to the level of anything from a public standpoint to what Brett Favre has done, um, other than some beef with the media and not being a great teammate. But because it hurts us in our football heart, we give that more credibility yeah. than we do actual crimes. In this case, yeah, uh, we turn our blind eye to that. So it's a it's just a fascinating way to look at sports culture, who we are as as fans, who we turn into heroes, who we turn into anti heroes, uh, who we love, who we hate. Um, it's a it's a fascinating look into that. And this Brett Favre story, when I saw it, I thought this is the perfect example of kind of all this tied up in a nice little you know bow that this guy who's Got a long history of with some questionable behavior, is still regarded so highly, yet, and still, this is an actual crime with dollars involved, people's lives being affected, and people being hurt. In a state where there's a water crisis, where they can't get clean water to an entire city of over a million people, yeah, Fred Favre is still cool because he threw some touchdown passes, and he, look, and he looked really good, you know, the couple of days after his dad died, and we all remember that great game. Uh, but yeah, I'm not willing to really dive into this story about these awful crimes he's done.
1: Yeah, people, some people on the text line are saying it's it's just a black and white thing. And I don't think it's quite that easy because Deshaun Watson is about to play in the NFL again this season. He's a black man um, who's, com, who's, you know, I guess you can say they're not crimes, but but involved in some very, very shady, unbecoming behavior off the field. But the stuff he's done on the field? Great. He's never disparaged the league on the field. You know, he's never done what Antonio Brown did on the field or, you know, caused an argument like T.O. did on the field or in the locker room. What he's doing is off the field. And as long as it's off the field, we can, we, can, we can overlook that. We can forgive you for that because of what you did on the field. And like you said, that is a shame because it's just a game. Yeah, fascinating. All right. Did something that happened in the Chargers-Raiders game on Sunday portend Good things on the horizon for Nathaniel Hackett's evolution as a head football coach? We'll ask that question next. You're listening to Chad and Nate on Denver's Sports Station, 104.3 The Fan. It's a new NFL, Chad. It's a new NFL, and it's all about analytics. You trust the numbers in the moment to make the decision, and you do what the analytics tell you to do, right?
0: No. No? You got some football gut, man, some football background. Analytics don't do situations. They don't do all the details and nuance that you glean as a head coach in order to make a decision. Glean. Glean.
1: Such Such a good word. Yes. Well, last year as a head coach, Brandon Staley, the Chargers head coach, made a series of questionable decisions. In my mind, questionable. In, in some people's minds, maybe smart, following the numbers and the analytics. But that lost in football games. The Chargers had a chance to make the playoffs. All they had to do was tie the Raiders. Okay, That was about to happen. Rich Passaccia was going to allow, seemingly, allow the tie to happen. As the clock was ticking down, the Raiders had the ball. He was going to let the clock expire. The game was tied. Brandon Stanley called a timeout. He was trying to get the ball back yep. to go for the win. Rich Passaccia said, all right. They picked up the first down. They kicked the field goal. They sent the Chargers home. That was a bad timeout. <laughs> it was. In addition to that, Brandon Staley over and over went for questionable fourth downs on his own 30. Fourth and 10. It didn't really matter. He was going to go for it. And his answer was always, if we're going to lose, we're going to do it our way. That kind of approach to coaching made me th- say several times in this offseason that Brandon Staley was a bad coach and that Nathaniel Hackett would be able to coach circles around him. Now, this was prior to seeing Monday night's game <laughs> as well. Uh-huh. But my thought was Brandon Staley, he's, uh, he's, you know, he's, he's off the Vic Fangio tree of, of coaches and off, off the Vic Fangio tree of game day decision makers. But in the game on Sunday against the Raiders, fourth and one, at midfield, in the, I believe it was in the fourth quarter, Brandon Staley elected to punt the ball. He punted the ball on fourth and one from midfield. Wow. Raiders didn't end up scoring on that drive, and the Chargers ended up winning the game. Brandon Staley is learning to make better decisions in the game. Does that make you feel good about Nathaniel Hackett's evolution as a coach?
0: I would hope as a coach you're constantly learning. I would hope, I would so hope that would be the case at all times. And, yeah, Brandon Staley, I think, decided to be a little too new age last year and leaned on the analytics and lost some of the situational understanding that can be difficult for analytics to truly analyze. So uh, the fact that Brandon Staley, who seemed to be so slavish to this last year, uh, has learned and maybe turned over a, a bit of a new leaf, Kudos to him, number one. But uh, yes, it shows that as a coach, you can have your plan. You can be, decide what kind of coach you want to be. And you know, in the words of Pete Carroll, to me, you got to figure out what kind of coach you want to be, Chad. That's how you need to have a you need to have that in mind before you walk into any coaching job. What kind of coach are you going to be? I think Brandon Staley decided last year what kind of coach he was going to be, and adhered and stuck to his plan, and often to his own detriment. Now. After an off-season of reflection, looking at all the mistakes, analyzing all the mistakes, realizing, yeah, I got to do better with that. And so now, to your point, game one is already better with that. Uh, The question for Nathaniel Hackett is, does it take an entire season for him to modify his plan? Or is the plan so hardwired that it cannot be modified until next season? Does he learn from week one to week two? Or is it from year one to year two?
1: Everyone's got a plan, Chad. So they get punched in the face. So they get punched in the mouth. Yes. Well, tonight the Chargers are playing the Chiefs in an AFC West matchup, Thursday night football. Always entertaining. Both of those teams are 1-0. and uh, The Chiefs, to me, still the kings of this division, playing at a level actually higher level in Game 1 of this year than they were Game 1 last year. They had a, a rough beginning of last year.
0: Um, well, how do you see tonight unfolding? Uh. The Chiefs are, I think, further ahead than where the Chargers are. Um, so um, I I'm, was incredibly impressed with the Chiefs. Uh, we're hearing some things out of Kansas City about an extremely motivated— and I know I roll my eyes as I'm saying this, and I'm sure you're rolling your eyes as you're hearing me say this— an extremely motivated, extra motivated— and, Whoa, 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 extra motivation. Extra motivation. You don't believe in extra motivation, John. I don't,
1: Chad. I don't, but You still don't, even after, like, we've had— I know, you know, I know you got to stick to your guns— but ever since we've had that conversation, you've heard all sorts of actual, uh, you know, current NFL players and coaches talk about extra
0: motivation. Patrick Mahomes is supposedly extra motivated. <laughs> right. So what what does that mean? Uh, you know, there's a there's a there's a look in his eye. There's an intensity that was lacking over the last couple of years. Is it extra motivation, or is it just a guy getting further in his career? feeling more comfortable in his leadership role, realizing that I got to be an assassin. I can't be a nice guy. Uh, Yes. So do we attribute some of these maturity things and realizing I can't play this game forever, I got to pour myself into it to extra motivation, or is it just a player who's growing older and maturing in in his awesomeness in some ways? So I don't want to parse words there, but yes, he's extra motivated to, to those who need to hear it that way.
1: Did you hear Sean Payton was on Colin Cowherd this week and was talking about Patrick Mahomes and how he went and scouted him, went and, went and worked him out when he was in college, and prior to the workout, sent him a little playbook, had him study it for a couple days, and then went and you know put him on the on the whiteboard and asked him some questions and went out on the field. And, and what he saw in that day, they left and were like, don't say anything about this. This is our next quarterback. Right. And he said, this guy is far and away the absolute best in the NFL.
0: You agree with that? Absolute best. Uh, I think there have been some holes exposed in his game over the, oh. last, the last couple of preseasons. Well, uh, like, postseason, sorry. Not postseason, not preseasons. Uh, tell me about these holes. Uh, uh, obviously, uh, in the Super Bowl, um, his ability to inability to uh, deal with pressure. Now, his offensive line wasn't very good, so it was an extraordinary amount of pressure. Wait, but Cecil Lammy always said, you don't blitz Patrick Mahomes. You, Mahomes, you can't blitz him. Well, they weren't You're blitzing. talking about pressure just with four guys? Tampa Bay was getting pressure with just four guys. Okay. Tampa Bay so you've got to be able to do that.
1: Right. If you can't do that,
0: you're well, the, there was also some pressure issues this last postseason as well. So there's some pocket awareness things that I think are maybe the weakest part of his game. Would I take Patrick Mahomes virtu- over virtually every quarterback in the NFL? Is there a quarterback who I would take above him? Uh, you know, not for any long term purposes because he's so young. I, I, I suppose there's circumstances where I would want Tom Brady or circumstances where I would want Aaron Rodgers. What about uh, Justin Sherbert? You're gonna see him tonight. I I think he's finding ways to get better. Um, he's dynamic. Uh, he's athletic. He's got incredible arm strength. Um, again, I saw him a, a number of times uh, when he was at Oregon. I called some of those games. He found a way to leave some of his worst parts behind in college and bring the best parts to the NFL. Has only done, oh, it's only gotten better since he's been in the NFL. Um, So I'm extremely impressed with him. I don't think he's to the level of Patrick Mahomes, but he certainly is a top five quarterback. We will be treated to some excellent quarterback play tonight. No doubt about that.
1: Yeah, and to me, when you're talking about the fate of the Chiefs and if they're going to be able to kind of go on another Super Bowl run, it comes down to their defense to me. I mean, their offense is always going to be good. Right. Their offense is the, is the strength. It's like the defense. Are they going to congeal? Are they going to come together as the season goes on? And last year, that's what happens. And really, really all these good years with the Chiefs, it's the defense that comes along slower, but they start clicking at the end of the season, and that's why they go <clears throat> on these runs. All right, Chad, you got to – you got a game you're going to call this week. It's a college football game. You go you go college, you go pro, you go college, you go pro. You never know where Chad's going to be, but it's a big weekend of college football coming up, and we're going to dive into that next. Denver Sports Station 104.3 The Band presents Chad and Nate. She's
0: simply awesome. <sighs> Day
1: 195. Billy Ocean campaign, number 95. There's some some NFL greats who wore that number. Richard Dent. Hall of Famer. Hall of Famer. Part of that 85 Bears team that's widely considered one of the best of all time. Greatest of all time? Greatest team of all time? Uh, Greatest defense, probably. You know, Jim McMahon, the quarterback of that team, was a student in my father's 8th grade U.S. history class.
0: I did not know that.
1: Yes. Nice. Yep, in San Jose, California, Sylvandale Middle School. And even back then, Jim could sling it. He could sling the rock.
0: <laughs> nice. Nice. Other number 95s, uh, Miles Garrett, one of the best pass rushers in the league, obviously. Uh, my former teammate, Greg Lloyd. Uh, for five years, I thought Greg Lloyd was literally the baddest man on the planet. Uh, 12th degree, taekwondo, black belt, was uh, was always practicing taekwondo on his teammates. 12th degree? What does that mean? I don't know.
1: I don't know. That's what he just said. That sounds like something like a kid on your on block would say when you're growing up. Like, I'm a 12th
0: degree black belt, man. Don't mess with me. Uh, Greg has a Taekwondo studio in Atlanta. I, I actually believe his Taekwondo chops. I've seen him work it. Uh, there was a, and During training camp, he would go up in the Steelers parking lot during training camp, and he would start working with his bow staff. And literally, dudes would decide to not go, like, drive to lunch or go to the grocery store or pick up something because... Greg's up there with his bow staff, and he might hit me with it. Really? He, he wanted to practice on you.
1: Yeah, didn't you say something like you had a bad hand, and he chopped it just he, to
0: mess with you? He broke LeVon Kirkland's wrist. Oh, LeVon Kirkland. Yes, because uh, Kirk had a bad oh. hand. and Le- Greg said, put your hand out. Show me where it hurts. And LeVon <laughs> pointed right to his wrist, what and Greg nice Karate chopped his wrist. And broke it? And broke his bone in his wrist. And it was like some weird bone in the wrist that never gets any blood supply. So it took like 18 months to heal. Oh, no. LeVon was mad for... Years, obviously. Well, whatever he did hits. They, did they fight they You don't want to
1: fight him. You well, fight you, you already him.
0: got a broken wrist. How are you going to win a fight against a 12-degree black belt? Yeah. Everyone was afraid of Greg. Okay. Jugs machine out before practice during special teams. Receivers are out there catching jugs. Uh, punt returners are catching jugs. Uh, Bill Cower is comes out for special teams practice. Greg and Kevin, Greg Lloyd and Kevin Green, have kind of taken the jugs machine away from the receivers, and they fire a football at Coach Cower from about 40 yards away. Hit him right in the groin. Ha. <laughs> wow! Coach Coward goes, takes a knee because, as you would, get hit. With five, doesn't see the football <laughs> come. And gets hits him right in the groin. Dick takes shot. a knee. He's <laughs> he's so upset when he gets up. And then he sees it's Greg and says, <laughs> "That's funny." Ha <laughs> ha, Greg. Yeah, because you can't fight him. What are you gonna do?
1: Yeah, and you're not gonna cut him either. No. Yeah,
0: he's the best player can't on your it. team. He's the best man in football, and he's 12 degree black belt. You can't <laughs> fight him. Only thing you can do is like shoot him. And clearly, Bill Carroll wasn't going to shoot him.
1: Yeah, that would have been bad. Yes, yeah, that would have been real bad. All right, so you got a, you're calling a college game this this week. Where are you going?
0: I am going to uh, Oklahoma State. They are taking on uh, Arkansas Pine Bluff. Ooh. So uh, I was listening to a podcast this morning from Oklahoma State faithful, and they are putting some uh, over unders out on how many walk ons will play for Oklahoma State. Uh, they, are, they are they they may they're predicting this possibly may top the I guess they played Middle Tennessee in like 2012 and it was 84 to nothing. Ooh. So they're predicting that kind of score. Hopefully it's far more competitive game than that.
1: How do you how do you deal with a game like that? When you're calling it, like, what, what do you talk about?
0: Well, it's, it's tricky because obviously you know what the lay of the land is um, With when there's two teams from very different levels of football. Uh, at the same time, it's a Big 12 now broadcast. I'm there to talk nice things about the Big 12 schools and the Big 12 teams, so I will do that. Oklahoma State, the top 10 team, they're ranked eighth in the country. Uh, they've got a three-year starter at quarterback. they got a running back who's now putting together some successful games. Uh, their defense is one of the best third-down defenses in, the, uh, in college football. So there's lots to talk about. But obviously in a game like that, at some point it begins to get a little bit out of hand. And the action on the field starts to be a little less compelling. Uh, Oklahoma State and Baylor get together next week in a really good Big 12 matchup. So you start to talk about that. I had Baylor a couple of weeks ago. So you need all this extra material once the game moves on from uh, actually being a fun game to talk about
1: number 95 Derek Wolf there we go Bronco great wolf integral part of Super Bowl 50 run also Michael Dean Perry yes number 95 former Bronco yeah um okay see you see you um, got their uh got their butts handed to them last week at Air Force yep are they going to get their backsides delivered to them again by
0: Minnesota? Game will be in Minnesota uh, on Saturday. Uh, CU's a 27 point underdog. Is that all? Uh, Yeah. So it seems as if the. Hammer, hammer, double hammer, triple hammer. The butt kicking is expected. I know Carl Durrell is trying anything he he can up in Boulder. Um, But in the end, man, you know, you got two quarterbacks. You don't really have one, as the saying goes. Uh, But but Geno
1: Smith is a quarterback now. And we we mocked that whole thing, but Geno Smith looked pretty good
0: in the first half. In the second half, the Broncos defense caught up with me at 31 yards passing. So I think you can get away with it for a bit, but eventually somebody's going to figure out and you're going to have a, another layer to your game. I don't think necessarily Geno Smith Uh, is going to be lighting it up all season long like it did against the first half with the Broncos. But for CU, JT Stroud and Brandon Lewis, uh, unfortunately, neither one of those guys are quite getting it done right now. CU's been a little bit behind in offense and defensive line play uh, for the last couple years uh, as far as the Pac-12 rankings. Uh, I would always put them towards the bottom part of the league as far as those guys go, so they're not really good up front. And defensively, um, there's a lack of physicality and a lack of tackling skill that has showed up in the first two weeks of the season. I suspect that will be the case here in week three as well. Um, is that a coaching issue or is that a personnel issue? It's a bit of a personnel issue. See, you had, what, the third or fourth most transfers out of the program out of anybody in college football last year. Guys taking uh, NIL deals where the money was greener. Guys going to other schools where, you know, better NFL opportunities or better opportunities to be on a winning team or better opportunities to be on a bowl team were available to them. So, yeah, the roster's been plucked a little bit through uh, transfers, um, and it's difficult to see a way in which CU somehow rebounds back to the glory days. The program is in a very rough place right now. Does Carl Durrell ever asked you to come talk to the team or get involved at all? Uh, I, I've spoken to Carl a number of times. I know Carl from my internship with the Jets. He was the wide receiver coach out there. I got a lot of respect for Carl. I think he's a good coach. I think he's in just a, in a terrible situation. But I have addressed the team Uh, for all the last couple of coaches. At some point during the season, I go out and speak with the team. Yes.
1: So CSU also has a tough matchup? Yes. A tough road matchup. They're going up to Washington
0: State. Yeah, Washington State. uh Upset Wisconsin uh, last week. Washington State's two zero. They're playing some good football. I'm very happy with where they are. Um, so yes, I, I believe this is going to be a rough season. Maybe outside of Air Force here in Colorado for college football. Um,
1: What's going to turn it around, Chad? I don't know. I, I it, isn't this like? Isn't this a destination where kids would want to come and, and play and, and live? It used like, to you, like you look at all of us who who moved here to play. Actually, you moved here. To go to school. And you stayed. You're still here. Right. I'm still here. A lot of my friends who didn't grow up around here moved here to play sports and are still here. So how do we, get, how
0: do we translate that or, or communicate that with these kids? The criteria, unfortunately, has changed. We used to think from a recruiting standpoint in Boulder, we get the kids to Boulder. If we could just get you there to do a weekend trip, do a recruiting trip to Boulder, you're going to fall in love with it like almost everyone falls in love with Boulder in Colorado. And we got gotcha. you but now kids are making decisions based purely on NIL dollars and they're not even taking visits to campuses. What kind of money can you offer me and my family? A CU doesn't have that kind of booster. Uh, so they're going to fall behind. CSU doesn't have that kind of booster. They're going to fall behind. Um, I don't know how this gets rectified outside of a realignment in college football, which you and I have talked about before. And unfortunately for, you know, CU, that probably means tier B or tier C. For CSU, that's probably tier C or tier D. Uh, Why would you compete or try to compete for a national championship with 123 other schools when you literally have absolutely no shot whatsoever to achieve that?
1: Yeah, they don't care about the mountains anymore. They don't care about, you know, the the scenery or the, 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 the idyllic campus or anything like that. They care about TikTok.
0: Yes. And Instagram. And video games. And cold hard cash. <laughs> ESPN day piece on the players parking lot at the University of Texas. It's full of Lamborghinis Come on. and Mercedes. There's car dealers. Well at least they're being smart with their money. Yeah. Well there's car dealers who are giving kids cars. To come to Texas. Lamborghinis. Lambos. It's Lambos in a college parking lot. I don't know how CU can compete with that. It's it's a ridiculous way, place that college football is in. I'm not saying Texas is right for doing that, um, but I'm not mad at the kids for taking the money. But how does CU ever, ever try to get back into the national picture when that is the expectation from a kid leaving high school? Where's my Lambo? Where's my Mercedes?
1: Mm. Well, Chad, you just got to open a car dealership, I think.
0: it ain't going to happen anytime soon.
1: So there's a position group with the Broncos that uh, looked really good in the game on Monday night, and they need to get involved early and often and sustained throughout the game if the Broncos are going to get in the end zone like they didn't find a way to do Monday night. What position group is that? We'll talk about it next. It's Chad and Nate on Denver's Sports Station, 104.3 The Fan. The Fan. You know, it's a combination of a lot of people, and and in the end, it lies on me. I made that decision, and that was our plan. That's what we said. That's the yard we had to get to. We all knew it. That's what we said in the huddle before we did it. We got there. We made that decision. Should have never gotten to that. That's the thing that I think, obviously, the last decision is something that, you know, you're always going to gosh, could have done this, could have done that. But I think the thing that frustrates me more is that red zone. You know, we had so many opportunities. I mean, we were inches away. I mean, talking with the tight ends even today, all four of them had an opportunity to get in the end zone. Um, We had some other people that had some opportunities. We missed them. And it's just, you know, they should have never gotten to that. You heard them all four tight ends had a chance to get in the end zone. And, um, you know, you look back to training camp and talking about that tight end room and, How's it going to shake out? Which one's going to get cut? And, you know, is Eric Salbert going to get cut? Is Andrew Beck going to get cut? Does he really belong on this team? Albert O, is he going to come together because he can't block? And Tomlinson, he's one-dimensional. All four of those dudes had a chance to get in the end zone, and it's become clear that all four of those guys are important to the offense and what they're trying to do. They all do something a little bit different. Albert O had some nice plays in the game, uh, including some, you know, some field awareness that, as talented as Noah Fant was and is, he just didn't have. You know, stretching the ball over the line to get, understanding yep. what you're trying to do on the field. Eric Salbert, kind of instrumental in the, in the running game um, on special teams. Probably not the ideal guy you want to throw the rock to, but at the same time, had a chance at that ball. You know, if he had a little more agility as a pass catcher, he probably would have snagged that thing. It was a pretty good throw. It was a nice throw. Um, Eric Tomlinson. Caught a nice pass from Russell as well. And he's a big man. He's a blocker. He should have dragged that toe. Not try to tap it, but drag it. That's stuff that, as a receiver, we used to do all the time. Um, Receiver drills. Drag the toe. But as a tight end, we didn't do a lot of that. Because we had other stuff we had to accomplish. Right. And then there's Andrew Beck, who I think caught a lot of people by surprise. Um, What I've learned, being a radio host on this station, is that if you say something and you end up being right about it, you're supposed to remind people that you said it right. in the past.
0: Say it then. Say it with your chest, Nick. Say it with your chest. And I've been talking about Andrew Beck
1: you know, I, because of his skill set. He's a right. Swiss Army knife. He can line up in the backfield. He can put his hand in the dirt. He can lead up through the A gap. He can lead around the corner on a sweep. You can split him out wide, and he can run pretty much anything in the route tree. We hadn't seen it from him before, but he did that dare, though.
0: Yes. I, I, the use checkness. Kyle Juszczyk is the, probably the most ultimate Swiss Army knife fullback in the NFL out there in San Francisco. So, to I thought they were missing an opportunity last year with this guy on the roster, and not utilize him in that way. If you have a fullback as part of your offense, uh, particularly to help your run game, then use that fullback in the pass game. Because if he's leading up through the hole. And a linebacker is going to step forward to take on the fullback, and suddenly he gives him a swim move and goes out for a route. You're going to catch that linebacker unaware. There's so many opportunities for those kind of guys to be wide open. Um, it doesn't have to be uh, something super complex. You don't have to, you know, have them at fullback and then motion them out and you know all that. You don't have to do all that. Just do stuff that looks like your regular run game, and then suddenly it's a pass. And you know, as much as I love linebackers, we will be caught unaware by that. This fullback has blocked me now three times in a row. The fourth time he comes at me, I'm expecting him to block me. Now he gives me a nifty little move, goes out to the flat. I'm caught flat-footed. It's a 6, 8, 10-yard, 12-yard gain. Uh, we saw Andrew Beck do that on Monday night. And then we also saw him being very dynamic in the run game as far as really getting under some people and delivering some blows. So uh, I would anticipate Coach Hackett probably looked at the second half and the lack of use. Andrew Beck said that's a mistake and I would expect to see Beck be a part of the game plan all throughout the game not just for the first 15 plays like we saw on Monday night
1: yeah Andrew Beck two catches 52 yards which typically if you think about a full back dude catching it out of the backfield what's well, going to be four or five yard gain maybe eight or nine those were dynamic big plays down the field he displayed some really good hands going up snagging that thing yep. one handed so the question is about the flow of the game as a play caller how do you create the balance, man? Because you only have one football. You got all these guys who you know are, are are potent with the ball in their hands. You got these things you want to do. They work early. Then you veer away from him. Nathaniel Hackett talked about that yesterday. He talked about, look, I think Andrew Mason asked him about the balance. Or somebody asked him, do you want to have more carries? Do you want to create some more you know, balance with the, with, with the rushing attempts versus passing attempts? His answer was basically, look, it was all working. So why does it really matter? You know, if it's all working, then it doesn't need to be balanced. If you're moving the ball, why does it matter?
0: I think he's got a good point. And I think your offense should not necessarily be about this guy has to have this many carries, this guy has to have this many carries. Your offense should be about how do we score points? How do we kick this particular team's butt right now? And that could be different from quarter to quarter and half to half. If it becomes a weather game, then, yeah, we hand it to Javante. If it's a not a weather game, maybe getting Andrew Beck out uh, on pass routes is the way to get this all done. I don't have this need to see certain guys get a certain number of touches. I would like to see with Javante with more touches because of the, the physical nature in which he runs the football and the effect that has on the defense, but it doesn't have to be a set number for me. Whatever it takes to win the game. I was a part of the Patriots Monday night game where the Pittsburgh Steelers came in with the number one ranked run defense in the NFL. We threw the ball 30 plus times to start the game without a single rushing attempt. Bill Belichick said, why bump your head against a brick wall? We can just throw over it. So that kind of thinking still has to exist. Yes, you have certain players on your team. And you want to get them the, the ball. Corlin Sutton needs some catches. Jerry Judy needs some catches. KJ Hamler needs some catches. And probably some rushing attempts as Jed sweeps, things like that. Um, Javante Melvin needs some catches. Uh, the, wide res- the tight end room needs a couple of touches as well. But in the end, let's be slavish to the win and not to trying to achieve some arbitrary numbers.
1: Yep, and uh, that's, what, that's what matters most. The win, Chad, I'm not going to be here tomorrow. I'm uh, I'm gonna be out, and so I have to give my prediction. What do you got, man, for the game? Well, you know, if the Broncos are able to play not fifty-seven minutes of football, not fifty-eight minutes of football, not fifty-nine minutes of football, but well, that was supposed to say sixty stinking minutes, sixty stinking minutes of football. If they can play sixty stinking minutes of football, they're gonna handle the Texans. I think they're gonna bounce back. Um, we're gonna get to learn a lot about the Broncos and, and and their ability to deal with adversity and and the noise. It's it's the noise you got to get used to. And Nathaniel Hackett's ability to to flush it and move on. I think the Broncos are gonna flush it. They are gonna move on. They're gonna be at home, not dealing with that noise, and they're gonna have a lot to prove. I think they're going to win twenty eight to thirteen.
0: Ooh, wow, more than double them up. Okay, yeah, I think they're gonna. 13.
1: I think they're gonna more than double them. Uh,
0: Any outstanding uh, offensive guys? Javante goes over a hundred. Uh, Corlin has twenty yard game, anything like that?
1: <laughs> no, I think they're going to keep splitting things up with with Javante and Melvin. So I don't think you're going to see one of those guys go off. It's just something we're going to have to get used to seeing Okay. these guys sharing things. You know, yeah, every once in a while they're going to you know have like a sixty five thirty five or maybe seventy thirty, but. They're going to obviously try to manage these guys' touches and make them you know, equal enough to keep these guys healthy for the l- latter parts of the season. This is about the health of these guys in Week 17, Week 18. I see Jerry Judy continuing to be in a big part of this offense. Sun, I want to see K.J. Hamler get involved. And, yes, Andrew Beck, Beck, throw him the rock. Let this guy cook. All right, that's it for us. Stokely Zach! I licked my phone. They're next. Hey, this is Nate Jackson. Thanks for checking out Chad and Nate On Demand, presented by SCL Mortgage, the home of MySpecialMortgage.com.